You are listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded January 3rd, 2021. For more information about our church, visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. Maybe you see it. I don't know about you, but that's the way I feel today. You know, take this world, give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. I want to put a couple of just quotes up here to kind of go into uh, the message. And while we're doing that, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 24, uh, we're going to look in there. So, uh, David, if you can pop that first one up. Horace Greeley, who was an American journalist and newspaper editor, said this, It is impossible to enslave, mentally or socially, a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. And then next is one from Abraham Lincoln. We'll get that put up there. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Those two quotes... You know, if you think about it, and you know, I'll tell of an acknowledgement of God and a realization and everything that it is God's Word that brings true freedom. And that we as a people, and you know, all have we become so proud? Have we become so self-sufficient that in reality we don't need God anymore? We don't need His blessings at all? Because you know what? We can do this thing ourselves. And that's what I want to deal with this morning. Everything when we look at Matthew chapter 24. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 24, you know that it is part of Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And what he is talking about there is what things are going to be like prior to his return to the earth. Okay? And the Bible tells us there in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to look at, uh, starting at verse 35, if you would go there, Matthew chapter 24. And verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Both of these quotes that we looked at from historical figures both sent us back to the Word of God, didn't they? One, the principles of the Word of God is what bring free, brings freedom. The other is the Word of God that sustains us in that freedom and provides hope for us. But, but of that day, verse 36, an hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now Jesus said we can't know 
the day or the hour. And if you've been in church like I have, you know, in fundamental independent Baptist churches for the last 50 years or so, you know, that has been a message that has been preached ever since then and probably even before. I can remember as a teenager hearing the message, you know, that the Lord's coming. You know, I remember this song that the Oak Ridge Boys, you know, saying, Jesus is coming soon. And, man, that's one that we love to sing and one love to talk about. And so we expect it, you know, the Lord to come. And we can all maybe remember, maybe remember during the 70s and other things when there was a lot of talk that, uh, in, at least in biblical circles, and that Henry Kissinger might be the Antichrist. Remember that? The man of peace, you know, uh, uh, from Europe and all that good stuff, fitting that mold. And so we, we had all that talk. Well, here we are 50 years later, and, you know, Jesus hadn't come yet. Well, why is that? Well, we don't know the day, nor do we know the hour. But I kind of like to put it like this. We may not know the day or the hour, but we can hear the train coming, can't we? We can hear the train coming. And when we look at Matthew chapter 24 and for additional reading for you, if you want to later on, Romans chapter 1, I remember um, uh, my mom's uncle, uncle's place down in Fayette County, West Virginia, back in the middle of nothing. But when you went down the one side of it, down toward it, it took you down to the Gauley River. Also, me and Kenny Hornsby and all, many times we'd get together and we'd just take the day and we go down to the Gauley River and we play on the rocks and one thing, you know, like. 12, 13-year-old boys would do. Well, before you got to the river, there's railroad track. And in one direction and all, there's a bend. So you couldn't see around the bend. But the thing about it is, is we knew when that train was coming. We'd be sitting on that track, and sometimes you could feel the thing just kind of vibrate. You know, and then we'd put our ear down to it, you know, like we were big discoverers or something like that, you know. And we could hear that train coming. And sure enough, you know, we'd look up and, around the bend that train would come you see so when it comes to the coming of the lord we don't know the day or the hour however we can hear the train coming it would be moot to even make the statement that we are living in prophetic times because if you get right down to it we have been in prophetic times since the book of genesis now since the first prophecy was made in genesis 3:15, we have lived in prophetic times we have uh, all seen prophecies made. Some of us have seen them fulfilled. Matter of fact, um, those of you around in 1948, you've seen Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, a prophecy come to pass and all as the nation of Israel was rebirthed in her land. And basically, after that prophecy, the next to be fulfilled is the rapture of the church. Okay, it's when the Lord comes back for his bride. And again, we don't know. We don't know. But when you study in Jesus' teaching of that parable and everything, he just told the bride, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you have to be ready. And we see some things in the scripture that gives us an idea of what the times are going to be like. I want to read an article to you, if I may, here um, out of a magazine that I get, but I just think it was interesting. And please, um, this has nothing to do with whether you're a Democrat, Republican, conservative, um, whatever like that. But I just thought the article was very interesting and in tying in with the last times. It starts out with the Great Reset. Reset versus revival. Build back better. Where have we heard that? Okay? Build back better. 
In the case of the Great Reset, global elites, including right here in America, are intent on leveraging the coronavirus pandemic into a completely new world system. Build Back Better is literally the slogan of the Great Reset, coined by its originator and main advocate, World Economic Forum founder, Klaus Schwab. Now it goes on to say, Indeed, right now, the elite class in America and around the world is planning, in fact, openly bragging about the Great Reset, whereby they intend to leverage the COVID era's widespread public fears and government's rampant emergency powers to reset the world's economic, social, and governmental system to institute a more just global socialist utopia run by then. And then it talks about voters, especially younger millennials, naively fail to comprehend uh, a twofold effect of socialism. One is not only doesn't socialism cure poverty, in fact, it creates it, but socialism also necessitates turning a society into a totalitarian dictatorship. After all, radical wealth redistribution only occurs when the brute power of government compels it. Now, just taking that at all, how does that tie in to what the Bible teaches is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist? At all, a totalitarian government when there are those elite, even one, that is pulling all the levers and all the shots. And what we are seeing taking place, or is probably going to take place shortly, and all, is this reset. Okay? And I want to deal with uh, that, not from a political standpoint, but try to tie that in to Scripture. Now, as I mentioned, Matthew 24. And many of you have probably read that before, were familiar with that, the wars, the rumors of wars, the nation against nation, the famines, the pestilence, and such like that. You need to keep in mind that what Jesus is describing is the state of this world prior to his physical coming back to the earth, all right? So he's describing what it's going to be like prior to Revelation chapter 19 when he comes back and he sets up his millennial kingdom and rules and reigns for a thousand years. But here's something we need to also keep in mind. There is a, an event that takes place seven years prior to that and it's called the rapture or that regathering of the church of the, church of the firstborn, the bride of Christ. So we have read here in Matthew 24, and we are seeing some things, and I'm going to bring them out. We are seeing some things. Yes, these things are taking place now, but hey, how close are we to the rapture? If these things are showing us what it's going to be like before Jesus comes physically, how close could we be? Like I say, we don't know the day or the hour, okay? But we can hear the train coming. I think God's Word uh, uh, gives us that ability to do so. So, um, as we look to these articles and everything, what we have seen and everything in our society today is the buying into what could simply be called the lie of Eden. What was the lie of Eden? If you remember, everything, basically the serpent, Satan, told Eve, said, you know what, you can become your own God. You can be God. You can determine what's right and wrong. You can call the shots. You don't have to listen to anybody anymore. And what is the attitude that we see 
in our culture, in our life today, and sadly, in many cases, in our churches today, what is the attitude we see? Self is in, God's out, okay? It's all about me. It's all about self. It's all about what I want and everything. Oh, listen, yeah, I'm glad God's there, but God understands what I'm dealing with, okay? And everything, okay, God does understand what we're dealing with, and he understands it in many ways because we are being disobedient to his word. So the question today is, are we ripe for the king of the world to arrive? Are we ripe for the king of the world, not Jesus Christ, but the man of sin, the Antichrist, the one who's going to call all these shots? Are we ripe for him to come on the scene? And if you read George Orwell's 1984, you know what? That time has about arrived. That time has about arrived. So we're looking, as we've seen in this article, we're looking at a failed system that is making headway in the USA today. Matter of fact, polls tell us that nearly half of Americans favor socialism or some form of it in our country today. And all of you, I'm sure, have heard of AOC, okay, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, everything, who is an avowed socialist, everything, wants to see America become a socialist nation and everything. Uh, in her district this last election, she was reelected with 72% of the vote. 72% of the vote. No. Right? Hadn't heard that, so good thing. <laughs> okay. But the point being here is that 72%, you know, would vote uh, for someone like that. So what I want to j just briefly touch on, what we are seeing in America taking place today has come basically right out of the writings of Marx and Engels, okay, who brought in the co communism into, in particular, Russia, the Soviet Union, of course, and we're familiar with socialist nations that are here today. But if you look at that, there are four, among many, but there are four primary things that must take place in order for socialism to come in and become the narrative and all the things. One is the takeover of the media. The takeover of the media, there has to be a single narrative that is being pushed by the media, and not only is that a single narrative, but all dissent must be discredited. Okay, There has to be the single narrative, and anybody who would oppose that, discredit it, or just completely ignore it. You know, we see that today. And I think, now, I, now, I can't be a judge of that because I don't watch CNN, ABC, NBC, and everything. Maybe some of you do. But I do know that there's a lot of information and everything that is squelched and not placed out there in favor of okay, other things. We understand that today. The second is the halls of academia, everything must come under control. Halls of academia, we're talking about our educational system, in particular our secondary education, our colleges and universities that pretty much today teach that collectivism is good and capitalism is bad, all right? And when you look at, again, a narrative that is presented out there, anybody who would come against that and everything or have an opposition to that are pretty much discredited and, and, and placed aside. What we see more than anything, rather than education, is indoctrination okay? in our schools, in our colleges in particular. 
Matter of fact, this, uh, this is probably about 20 years ago, but uh, Focus on the Family did a uh, study and found that uh, of, those, of, of those young people with faith backgrounds, okay, we're not talking about a particular denomination, we're just talking about a faith background, of those students that went to public universities, such, after four years, about 75% of them walked away from their faith. Nothing to do with it. No longer in church. No longer acknowledging faith in any way because of the indoctrination that they received in the public institutions. Number three, we must marginalize faith and eventually control of religion. Marginalize faith and eventually control religion. Science now has become the new deism. How many of you can remember in school when evolution was presented as simply a theory. Remember that, don't you? Okay. Well, guess what? It's no longer a theory. It is the established fact. It is the narrative fact. Anybody who would come along that would teach intelligent design or creation of is discredited. Okay. That's all, that's all falsehood. That is all you know, religion. That is all faith and such, you see. And we have to go by the science. And, of course, we hear that a lot going on today. So science has become the new deism. We have to control gatherings also. We have to make sure that only so many people can come together at one time and at one place. There has to be control of gatherings. And then there's the forced conformity to the politically correct narrative. This last week came out where the LGBTQ um, institutions now are pushing to force Christian colleges to be inclusive in their curriculum or they'll have their accreditation removed from them. How are Christian colleges going to handle this? You see, knowing their accreditation can be approved, which if that happens and everything, then you know what? That cuts off a lot of grants and one thing after another like, like that and students coming on the scene. And then the last you know, which um, is going to be real interesting. This hasn't happened yet, but of course we have seen a push toward this. We will see a greater push toward this is that we must disarm the populace. We must disarm the populace. The people must be in a position where they can't defend themselves. You see, I don't know if you all remember it, but I think it was um, um, right from the Lost Ark, Deanna Jones. But there was that one scene Everything comes face to face with this Arab wielding these two swords. Y'all remember that? Man, this guy's wielding the swords and everything. He's going to cut him up and all and such. And you think, oh, what? what's he going to do? Real simple. He pulls out his gun and shoots him. <laughs> you know? So he was able to defend himself, right? Okay? Able to defend himself. But uh, according to the NRA, America is the last bastion of armed citizens last bastion of armed citizenry. Now this is just my personal opinion, folks. Oh, but I fully believe that America must be subdued before the Antichrist comes on the scene. America must be subdued before the Antichrist comes on the scene. I want you to think about this. So let's just imagine, okay, pick a day, any day, I don't care, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pick a day, you know, life is going on as it is here in our world, here in our country. 
all of a sudden there is a number of people, maybe who knows how many, all of a sudden gone. Just gone. Now you got cars going off the road. You've got one thing after another. You've got people panicking all around. You got people in the hospitals going over to the, you know, looking at the infants' cribs and everything. The cribs are all empty and they're wondering where all these children go, where all these babies go. And you can imagine the widespread panic that is going to take place. Well, listen, there's a couple things about the rapture, I believe. And again, my opinion, do with it what you want. One is that I believe the rapture will affect the United States the most of any country that there is. It's going to affect us the most. We have the largest number of believers, you know, of any one collection in the world today. And then... When that takes place, total confusion is going, to take, is going to happen. But you know, the Antichrist is going to have the answer. He's going to come on the scene and say, hey, listen, I know what happened, everything. Listen, I'll, I'll come in. I'll, I'll make everything right. I'll bring everything back under order. You just put me in control of everything. And a panicked, confused, desperate world will do just that. They will do just that. Now, if we look to Scripture, what are some of the last day characteristics that we can look to? We're not going to look these Scriptures up and everything. I will give them to you. I hope that you will look them up at another time. But if we were looking, uh, starting with Matthew chapter 24, and the things that are mentioned there, I'm going to use some other places. But one, knowledge, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, knowledge will increase. Now, by knowledge increasing, it's not talking about people who are going to get smarter, Okay. What it's talking about is the way that we gather information will increase, okay? We'll be able to do it at split-second speed. And you know what? You're able to do that with that little phone you got in your purse or in your pocket. If you've got Internet on that, you can go anywhere on that you want. You can pull up anything you want. Right there it is, you know. Gone are the day. How many of you remember going to the the books and searching through the books and doing your reports, okay? That's the way we had to do it back then, right? No more. You just start punching some things on that phone and all your information's right there. You pull it right up. The speed. And it seems like speed. And I don't know. I, have, I may have to get David to um, uh, interpret this for me. But you know when cell phones and stuff like that come out and everything, they talk about one gig. Well, then it went to two gig. Three gig. Four gig. Now they get five. And I think that's the amount of data that can be gathered. Am I right? David, or does that have to do anything with speed? Okay. He says, yeah. <laughs> we'll take that. He knows way more of him and Daniel no more, way, way more than I do. But the speed with which knowledge shall be gathered will increase. Also, according to Revelation 6.6, we will see the collapse of economies. A collapse of economies. Now, in that verse, it mentions two things. And they're kind of diametrically opposed to each other. One, it says that a measure of wheat will cost you a penny. That measure, that measure literally means a day's food supply. Okay? Basically, we get the word leader from it. So it is a liter of food, all right, that you have. And it's going to cost you a penny. That penny is a denarii and all which was a day's wage for the common laborer. So here's what it gets. You go to work, and what you make on Monday, that's what it's going to take for you to put a meal on the table. 
when you get home. Now think about that for just a moment. You still have a mortgage. You still have a car payment. You still have insurance. You still have utilities. What are you going to do when it takes you what you make in a day just to put food on the table for a day? You see? Now where do you think that's going to send the world also? Okay? Into panic. What are we going to see? We're going to see people become desperate, and desperate people do what? Desperate things. Desperate things. Also in that verse, it says, but you know what? Don't hurt the wine or the oil. Now, wine and oil here is a symbol for wealth, okay? So the wealthy people really, in a way, aren't going to be affected. I saw in a, um, uh, an article this week, uh, you may, if I say the name Jeff Bezos, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Okay, some of you know. Jeff Bezos is the owner of Amazon, okay? Okay, started out very simple and everything, and now literally he is the wealthiest man in the world. I mean, multiplied billions of dollars, okay? You think he's going to be affected putting food on the table? You think he's going to be affected paying his light bill? You think he's going to be affected putting gas in his car or his plane or whatever he owns? No, you see. Those who have. Not a whole lot of difference. It'll be everybody under that strata. I think that will be affected by that. Then he says pestilence. David Jeremiah about a month ago brought a message and all that referred to pestilence as contagion. Contagion and everything. Talk about infectious. Contagious disease. Here we are. Matter of fact, this last week, the WHO, the World Health Organization, made this statement. The big one hasn't come yet. The big one hasn't come yet. Now, could be prophetic because when you look over in the tribulation period, the book of Revelation and everything, you'll see that there's going to become sickness and disease and pestilence that's going to wipe out a good portion of the population of the world during the tribulation. Will we see any of that? Well, we're seeing a little bit of it right now, aren't we? We're seeing a little bit of it right now. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 7, 9, and 10, talks about the dividing of the populace. Nation against nation. The word nation there is the word ethnos, which has to do with people with nationality. In other words, the United States and Canada is not going to go to war. The United States and North Korea is not going to go to war. The United States is going to go to war with the United States. We're going to see a division. We're going to see civil unrest. And all other nations are going to do the same thing and everything as people turn against people. Because why? Desperate people do desperate things. The dividing of the populace. Matter of fact, I think Paul was telling me up in Vermont, New Hampshire, one of the two, and I think the officials up there and I think encourage people that if you see those out and about without masks or in their yards or something, call the authorities. Call the authorities. You see, turn on your neighbors. That's what we're seeing, you know, in our country today. And then Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three. Paul here said that the end of sin. This Antichrist, this king of the world, cannot come on the scene until there comes a falling away first. 
Now, who's he talking about falling away? He's talking about people of faith and all that abandon faith. People of faith that will turn against the Word of God. And if you look again in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, let me ask you something, folks. Did Jesus have anything good to say about that church? Nothing. Nothing. Why? They abandoned faith. They abandoned faith. And we are seeing today churches today that no longer see the Word of God as the Word of God. Churches today that are conforming to the image of our culture rather than transforming to the truth of God's Word. And we see more and more of this taking place. This is probably a, a pathetic illustration. Back in the 60s, there was a commercial for Lucky Strike cigarettes. And you remember the slogan for that? I'd rather fight than switch. And the person with the black eye? Well, whichever. I'd rather fight than switch. But now we see people today, eh, it's easier to switch than stand up for what's right. You see, stand up for God's word. You know, these are some things we have to ask ourselves, don't we? You know, just like I asked you last week and everything, this is going to be a time to tell you know, what do we believe? What do we what do we have firm footing on? You know, where's our faith at this time? You have to ask yourself, what will you do? Now listen. These are some things we could very well see take place before Christ comes in the rapture. What will you do when your contributions to charitable organizations are no longer tax deductible? What are you going to do? Because right now our government, you can take some of that off, can't you? Okay, That's kind of like a, a, a plus there. What, what's going to happen when they come along and say, nope, can't do that anymore. I wonder how many people will give less or give none. What are you going to do when we are forced to conform to state standards or lose our tax exemption? Kathy, just an estimate. What do you think property tax would be on this? <laughs> Any particular figure? Okay. Yeah. Wow. $2.8 million, 30 acres of the property, the buildings and such like that. You know, let's face it. If we had to pay property tax, you think we'd be open next week? Most likely not. Conform. Or are you going to lose your tax exemption? What do we do? No one approved. What will you do when no unapproved religious material can be distributed in public? Maybe you're passing out a tract to a friend. An officer comes up and says, can I see your permit to do that? Well, I don't have one. Well, you'll have to come with me. Say, that can't happen here in America. Are you sure? Are you positive? These are some things that are coming down the pipe, folks. These are some things coming down the pipe. What will you do when Big Brother now monitors all religious services and broadcasts? 
probably in some way they already do the broadcast. But what about when on Sunday morning a state official comes in, sits back there where Jenny's at, he's got his notepad, you know, to see what is spoken. If it's not approved, then we get a letter in the mail with a fine. Say, Pastor, you're you're off base. Am I? We're just asking, am I? We're seeing things like this take place already. We're seeing things like this take place already. But here's what I want to close with. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Individually as in a church and as a church. Verse 46 of Matthew chapter 24. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he comes shall find so doing. Did you see that? Basically, when the Lord does come, will he find us faithful? When the Lord comes, will he find us obedient to his word? When the Lord comes, will he find us continuing to carry out the commission that he left us to carry out? Or will we simply come within the four walls and hunker down and say, praise God, you know, bless us for it no more? What will we do when that time comes? Be faithful or fearful? Be transforming or conforming? Or be helpful or hiding. Which one will we do? Would you bow your heads, please? Heads bowed and eyes closed.